Matthew 25, 31. If, if anybody else has anything, it would be just fine. Matthew 25, 31. We're going to look at the judgment of the nations. So... nations. Okay. So, uh, Matthew 25, 31, we'll begin reading there. And we'll read, let's read all the way to 46, just so we get the whole thing. Matthew 25, 31, and we're going to do a little bit of page turning tonight to get some of these things, some of the verses I have in my notes, but we'll do some page turning. So, Beginning at 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. That's Christ speaking of himself. And he, he don't miss it. Now he said when he comes. So he said, I'm going to come back. He's standing there on the earth talking to his disciples. And he said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory... This is the second advent. This is when he's coming back. Okay. Oh, boy. Now the pastor did that. That's not good. Okay. Yeah. Tell you what, this, these phones. Let me make sure that that's silenced. Okay. So he is coming back in his glory. The first time he came... He came in humility. Second time he comes, he comes fully glorified. And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a sheep divideth his, a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Now when the Lord came the first time, was it, was it spiritual or was it physical and literal? It was literal, right? Well, he says, I'm coming back again. Do you think it's a spiritualized meaning that he has, or do you think it's going to be literal and physical? It's going to be literal and physical. He's talking about a real throne. He's talking about a real judgment. And he said, it's, it's, as, it's as a shepherd dividing his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats... On the left, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Now, he's not talking about right now during the church age. He's not talking about the Yokums out there on Navajo Nation setting up a mission to feed people who are down and out and give them the gospel. He's not talking about that. He's talking about Jews in the tribulation. We'll see that. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? The Lord never calls us. In the, in the New Testament, in Paul's writings, we are never called the righteous. These people are completely unaware of their righteousness. Did you notice that? Then shall the righteous say, what, Lord, when did we do these things? They're completely unaware of their righteousness. 
And he's, he's showing them how they were uh, deemed to be ju- uh, righteous in his sight. When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. One of the scariest verses in all of the Bible, right there. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, and saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not unto one of the least of these, my, uh, on, unto one of the least of these, excuse me, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So who are on the right hand of this king judging upon his throne? The son of man. Who's on the right hand? The sheep. Okay, who's on the left hand? The goats. Okay, and then who's this other group that he's talking about? You have three groups. He said the sheep, the goats, and then as much as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. So his brothers... His brothers, Jews, which we'll, we'll show you. His brothers. Three groups that are mentioned in this description of the judgment of the nations. Now, this is not the judgment seat of Christ. And it's not the great white throne judgment. At the judgment seat of Christ, as we studied last time, works are burned up. You remember that? Uh, judgment seat of Christ, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Or what, 1 Corinthians 3, and then uh, 1 Corinthians 5, was it? Works are burned up. At this judgment, people, lost people, are burned. And not works. At the great white throne judgment, there are books and dead people who are judged from the books. There were no books here, and these are not dead people. These are living people that are on the earth when Jesus Christ comes back. At the great white throne judgment, the earth is gone. It's gone. Here, they're standing on the earth. The subjects, the time, the place, and all of those criteria are different for each judgment. That's what I've been trying to point out. The criteria are different. So that's what we need to see here, okay? So we're going to take a look, like we did last time, at the, the subjects. The subjects, and as we said, there, there were three of them, right? You had the sheep, the goats, and the brethren, Jesus' brethren that he referred to. There are three subjects. Now, who are the sheep and the goats? Well, let's look back at it again. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, 
Verse 31, verse 32, before him shall be gathered all, do you see that? Nations, all nations will be gathered together. That's the same word that's translated Gentiles. That's talking about all the nations of the world will be brought before the Lord. And he will have people on his right that he calls the sheep. And what those are, those are not sheep nations. Those people, those nations are brought together and the citizens of the nations are divided into two groups. So these are not his brethren, right? These are not Jesus's brethren. Remember Matthew chapter 24, 25, Jesus is looking at Jews. He's been ministering to Jews the whole time. Every once in a while he said, hey, a stranger returned to give me uh, thanks. Remember? Then how about you Jews? You didn't but a stranger did. And he tells his disciples, go not into the way of the Samaritans or into any area where the Gentiles are. Don't do that. I'm, I'm here just for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus often said, my brethren, my brethren. He's talking about his brethren, brethren according to the flesh. Right? So the sheep are not sheep nations. That's a mistake to say that. The sheep are the people on the right hand who according to this judgment helped out Jesus, when he was hungry and thirsty, and they said, how did, we, how did we do that for you? And he said, when you did it for one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. So the sheep are people who are saved, right? He says, you're righteous, and they pass the judgment, okay? So the sheep are saved, and then the, uh, the goats... They are lost because they didn't help out Christ's brethren, his brothers. And then you have, in that passage, his brothers. Right, right there from the passage. So, three subjects. And sometimes preaching isn't always doctrinal, but it's still good preaching. Meaning that sometimes, you could preach this, you could preach a salvation message from this and say... You know, the Lord's sheep will be saved. I heard, an, I heard of an old country preacher one time who was talking to somebody and witnessing to them. And they said, oh, you're just, uh, you're just a sheep. You know, you're just following uh, what that Bible says and following what men say and this kind of thing. And the preacher said to that guy, he said, I'd rather be one of the Lord's sheep than one of the devil's goats. That's the truth, ain't it? But that's not really what this is talking about. This is not talking about gospel age, church age doctrine. This is a tribulation setting is what's going on here. And this is Jesus returning at the close of the tribulation to judge the nations. We'll get there in just a second. So the time, the time, I got ahead of myself. Looking at these criteria and what we want to do is we want to show you that... The criteria are different in all of these judgments that we're looking at. You can't make them all the same. So the time is at the second advent. Second advent or second coming of Christ. So if we drew it on a timeline, you know, you'd have the seven uh, years of tribulation. And then the Lord coming back at the end, second advent. And then he sets up his, his throne, you know, and... And he's, he's judging the nations. 
And right here you'd, you'd have Matthew 25. Okay? And then you'd have the establishment of his kingdom. The 1,000 year reign. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That would go on after that. So we're just talking about the judgment of the nations right here. Um, we, before the tribulation will go up, we will return with the Lord. We will be judging, as we'll see. We won't be the ones judged, we'll be judging. So the timing is at the second coming of Christ, the place. If you would, uh, take your Bibles, you can put a marker there because we'll come back to it, but Joel chapter 3. Let's just turn to this one, Joel chapter 3. So uh, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations... Then you have Ezekiel, Daniel. Those are the five major prophets. Then you get into the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel. So if you get to Daniel, keep going, Hosea, then Joel, chapter 3. And then look at verse 2. So... Looking at the place, Joel chapter 3 and verse 2. So just so we get the context here in verse 2, it says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about how there were 48 prophecies fulfilled specifically uh, at the first coming of Jesus Christ, literally with incredible uh, uh, mind-boggling uh, accuracy. Remember we talked about the, the chances, the statistical probability of that being able to happen in one man's life. It's just it's, uh, impossible, except God. And so, this is one of the prophecies concerning his second coming. 400 of them, right? This is one of them. I will also gather all nations, bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Yeah. Uh, and will plead with them there for my people. Now, who's his people? Jews. Jews. Now, just say, let's, um, you say, Pastor John, are you trying to trick me? No. <laughs> just imagine. Imagine tonight we started reading in the book of Genesis, okay? And we read all the way through the book of Genesis. We're going to do it. You want to do it? takes 72 hours, I guess, to read through the Bible. And you don't want to do it. But it, just imagine if we did. Genesis, and we read all the way to Joel. If it said, my people, who do you think it'd be talking about? You haven't heard a thing about the church. In all those pages. You know who you have heard about? The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes, so to speak. Uh, I didn't mean to use that pun. And then the other day, uh, uh, Brother Randy, um, his wife is on a cruise. And he said, I, I said, didn't you want to go with her? And he said, no, not interested. And I said, so it doesn't float your boat, does it? And I, <laughs> and I meant to use that pun and uh, made, made Chuck laugh. So, but I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Right. So we haven't heard hair. The, the, the Gentiles are mentioned right there in verse 2, the nations. And we don't come to a Gentile church. To the book of Acts. 
So I'll gather all nations, bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel. Okay? Whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Is there any question as to who that's referring to? The physical seed of Israel, right? Okay. So that is in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, we can't do a big Bible study about that. But simply put, that is the Jezreel Valley. And uh, it's called the Valley of Megiddo. Um, It is the location of Armageddon. If I could put, just that's the Sea of Galilee right there, and then the Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea right there. Roughly speaking, the Valley of Jehoshaphat's right there. This is uh, Megiddo, um, Jezreel, something right in there, Valley of Jezreel. So, um, this right here is where it is to believed to be the place of Armageddon. So, Jesus is going to judge the nations there. Okay? I'm not going to say anything more about it other than that. Um, we, Beth and I, were with our tour group. And we were right here on Mount Tabor, and we were overlooking the uh, Jezreel Valley. And we, we could see all of these things that were around here, and I, I can't remember all of them. Mount Carmel's over here, and, and uh, Nazareth is somewhere around in here. But we were overlooking that. We could see you know, where Jezreel was and where all of those things that happened in the Bible. Our tour guide was just giving us sort of like a survey of Old Testament history and all the things that happened there. But we were looking at the very spot where Jesus one day will judge the nations. Just incredible. So we'll be back there again, honey. So, um, and I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> the place, the basis, okay? Here's the basis. Um, oops. The basis. So what, it, what is the, uh, what's the way that he's going to judge everybody? The Lord Jesus Christ will judge the Gentiles based on their treatment of his brethren. Now look at Romans chapter, well actually, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. since we're already in the Old Testament. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two, please. And uh, let's see where in the Old Testament this language is used of uh, brethren. That the Son of Man would refer to his people as brethren. So Psalm 22, if you don't know it, and Psalm 53 are great uh, chapters to meditate on and to do your devotions in concerning the crucifixion. So coming up toward Easter time, these would be great places to spend a lot of time in and, and prayer. But in Psalm 22, in verse 22, we find this term, brethren, being used. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. That's a prophecy about Jesus. So, And that was fulfilled among his brethren. Then I want you to see Paul using this language in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, and then we'll come back to Matthew 25. 
So Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. We'll start at verse 1. So what you have... um, a judgment based on the treatment of his brethren. In Romans chapter 9, verse 2, I, well, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Verse 3, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. That's Paul talking about his brethren, the Jews which he said, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Okay, Paul had such a great burden for the Jews that Paul said, I would be willing to give up my spot in heaven so that my people could go to heaven. He had the same kind of burden that, that Moses had for his people back in the Old Testament. So there are the kinsmen according to the flesh. So when we think about this word, the brethren, we need to understand that there is, there is the... Uh, the flesh, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then there is the spiritual brethren. That's what we are. And we should not mix up those two. Just a little warning not to mix up those two because we are called Christ's brethren, but we are his brethren by a new birth, a spiritual new birth. Then there are the brethren, kinsmen according to the flesh, Paul says. And the way, the way that people get so mixed up Okay, is, is truth is progressive, as we're trying to show in our study in the book of Acts. In the books of the Gospels, Jesus Christ has his disciples. He calls out 12 of them, right? And they are his brethren already because he's a Jew, they're a Jew. They are his brethren, kinsmen according to the flesh. But you know what happens with them? Well, except for one. Eleven of them go on to be his brothers twice. Because eleven of them are born again and become his brethren spiritually as well. But we should never, ever confuse those two when we're studying prophecies. Okay? That's just a warning not to confuse those. All right, so back to Matthew chapter 25. We are not his brethren according to the flesh. We are his brethren spiritually according to a new birth. And so Matthew 25 talking about the subjects of this judgment, because Christians read this and they get scared. And they say, well, I guess I have to work for my salvation. And if I'm not out doing good deeds and charitable acts, then I'm going to go to hell. Well, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad for getting mixed up in the scriptures. But what you got to realize is, is that you got all balled up. We were using that expression earlier. You got all balled up. And uh, you need to learn how to rightly divide. The word of truth. So Matthew 25, and the basis there is Christ will judge the Gentiles based on their treatment of his brethren as we looked at it. Now just notice, verse 35, I know we read it, but um, he'll say unto his sheep on the right hand, verse 33, come ye blessed, they're able to come into the kingdom, verse 34, why are they able to come into the kingdom? 
Because he said, I was hungry, and you fed me. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. You know what all those things describe? They describe a Jew on the run in the tribulation who won't take the mark of the beast. The 144,000 got to him, preached the uh, faith of Jesus Christ to him, and said, don't take the mark of the beast. Don't do it. If you take the mark of the beast, you'll be condemned. And so they start running for their lives. And these Jewish people and all of these others during the tribulation that are running for their lives, they're going to need some help. They're naked. They need to be clothed, sick, need to be visited, so on, in prison. Then, verse 37, shall the righteous answer him. Again, we are never called righteous. We, we are said to have the righteousness of Christ <clears throat> that comes by faith. But we're never called righteous. Yeah, you ought to see that distinction. Um, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee and thirsty and gave thee drink? Would you not admit that those are all good works? Good things to do. And you should do them. In the church age, you should do those things. just has nothing to do with your salvation. But here it does. They're all good works, right? We saw thee a stranger and took you in and naked and clothed you. When saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall say, Verily, verily, as much inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, verse 40, you've done it unto me. And then he'll say, Unto the left hand. And they're recognizing, man, they're over there. We're over here. What's he going to say to us? And he says, Depart from me. Why? Why did they have to depart? Why were they cursed? Why were they going to go into the everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels? Why? Because they didn't feed the hungry. They didn't give drink to them. They didn't take the stranger in and give them housing. They didn't feed the naked. They didn't visit those that were in prison. You see that? Folks, that's works salvation. It is works salvation. You are not saved based upon your works. But look, they are. They are. Salvation is different in the tribulation. I said that when I first came here. And probably some of you looked at me like, I don't know about him. It's different. I didn't make it up. I read what the Bible said, didn't I? Pointed it out. Are you saved based upon whether or not you do charitable deeds for strangers? Or for Jews, for that matter. No, you're not. You're not saved based upon works, period. Your works have nothing to do with you being saved, God choosing you, or you staying saved. Right? Let me read these verses. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Listen to it. Just take God at his word. For by grace, what's grace? Unmerited favor, right? It means you don't deserve it. It's God being good to you even though you don't deserve it. For by grace are ye saved... Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 11.6 And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. This is of works. It's not of grace. That salvation there, coming out of the 
the Gentile nations coming out of the tribulation, it is of works. All right, here's another one for you in the church age. Romans 4, verses 4 and 5. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not. You see, the Bible actually says, don't work. You see? I didn't make it up. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. That's me. His faith is counted for righteousness. Your faith is counted for righteousness. Don't work. Believe. And your faith will be counted for righteousness. That's Pauline doctrine. Amen. Amen. Did you know that even, listen, even professors in Berkeley, a friend of mine is serving out in California and he went to Berkeley, the school in California. The professors in Berkeley that he went to and went into some of their religious classes, they recognized that Paul was different than Jesus' disciples. Because they realized that Jesus' disciples taught this works issue, like, like what Jesus is doing here. And Jesus' disciples were always talking about apocalyptic things, just like Jesus was. And Paul was entirely different. And they called Paul a radical, meaning he's nuts. That's, that's Berkeley, UC. He's nuts. He's a radical. And they said he's different than the disciples. You know why they say that? Because they don't. Nobody wants to hear Paul. You know what Paul says? Paul says that if you are a homosexual or a lesbian, you have to repent of that sin or you can't go to heaven. Nobody wants to hear that. And nobody wants to hear that you are not to work for your salvation. That your salvation is by grace through faith. It is a free gift. Free gift. Yeah. And yes, they have faith, but it is faith plus works. Just like it will be, well, my thing is gone. Just like as it will be in the uh, kingdom. But it's faith plus works in the tribulation. Um, Now, the Lord gathers the nations, separates their citizens into two different groups. The sheep. Now listen, it cannot be the church for all those reasons I gave you. Because at this and at the great white throne judgment, the church is judging, not being judged. If you want to look, well, okay, I'm going to read it to you, okay, because we're coming up on the end. 1 Corinthians 6. This is where Paul says, don't you know that you're going to judge the world? And then he says, not only that, you're going to judge angels. I'm going to 1 Corinthians 6, 1 and 3. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? We will be with Jesus, returning with him. I wish my timeline is up there. And we will be there judging. In what capacity? I don't know. But helping out with this and helping out with the Jewish people, helping them into the kingdom. Now, the, uh, the basis and then the results. The results of that, which I've pretty much already covered. The results is that the... Uh, the sheep and the Jews, they, go, they walk right on into the kingdom. And that, that is where you get the people that populate uh, the world. 
for a thousand years, and they have children. So the saved get to enter the kingdom. The lost are cast into the lake of fire. Now, I'm going to be that burr in your saddle. I'm the burr in your saddle pastor. Amen? Okay? Just listen to... You heard pure Bible doctrine. Now listen to the perversion of apostate Christianity and what they're, what they're doing. Okay? I told you that one of the scariest verses in all the Bible is what Jesus said there about going into the lake of fire. This is what religion says these days. According to the official, so-called infallible teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, hell is not a place but just a state of being. Those are quotes from their writings. Not a place, just a state of being. In 1999, the Jesuits uh, there in the Vatican, they published a book explaining their teaching on hell. And I don't think I'm going to pronounce this right, but La Civilta Catolica. They published that book, and that is a quote from their book. And that was to explain the official church's teaching. This is what Pope John Paul II and what Billy Graham believed and taught. Now, if Billy Graham taught it, what do you think happened to the rest of the nation? Billy Graham really let down the country when he went apostate on his doctrine. He did so much good, but went apostate uh, toward the end of his ministry. The New Catholic Catechism stated that the Roman Catholic Church never officially declared anyone would go to hell. That's just a lie. <laughs> but that's what it says. It says what the Bible teaches on the subject is, quote, popular imagination. Man, that's insulting. What the Bible taught is popular. You see, they don't believe it's the Word of God. According to that false, popish church and anyone that goes along with them, Jesus is a liar and the Bible is untrue. You realize that. It's either you're going to be on one side or you're going to be on the other. And you said, well, until tonight, I didn't realize there was a side. There is. There is a side. Um, According to the New York Times, now, some preacher put this information together, okay? I'm not some, you know, I just don't have time to do research like this. But according to the New York Times, this reflects those statements that I just gave you, the change in their doctrine, Quote, this reflects the cultural change within the Roman Catholic Church since 1960. Yeah, it's been a change. It's not just a change in the Roman Catholic Church. It's a change in Protestantism and uh, everybody else. What we'll have at the end of this age is we'll have small pockets of Bible-believing people, a remnant of people who are sticking to this book. And it's going to cost us something in America before the Lord comes back, I believe. Let me give you this and I'll be done. This is an article that was put together by a guy named David Cloud, and he says uh, that the United Nations is the New Age Tower of Babel. Just a brief quote. There was a prominent uh, meeting called COP27. Our president, as well as Vladimir Putin, spoke at this. It was just uh, not too long ago. It was November uh, 6th through the 18th. And during this convention... Uh, COP is, is a, it stands for Conference for Parties. 
they're trying to figure out what to do about global warming. But 100 faith leaders uh, had 40 religious sessions. And you know what they were trying to figure out? Interfaith unity. How can we get everybody together? That is not God's plan for this age. God's plan is to separate. Separate from apostasy. Keep separating from apostasy. Keep separating from apostasy until I come back. That's God's plan. This is the world. Yes. Separate church and state. Yes. The world says, how can we have an interfaith unity? Let's get everybody together now. Come on, everybody. Get together. Like Bob Jones Sr. used to say. Yep, get the sheep and the goats together. And then they were also talking about world peace, of course. And you know what? There will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes back, literally. But what they're doing is fulfilling prophecy. I mean, it's almost frightening the speed and the rate at which we're seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very, very eyes. So uh, they, they had some other things to do there, and you can imagine. Now, what do you think that those people believe about the definition of family and genders and hell? What do you think they think about hell? You know what they think. So let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I thank you so much uh, that we have the Word of God in our hands, in our own language. And Lord, I pray for people all around this world um, that don't even have John 3.16 in their own language. I pray for the Bible to be translated and sent off into other languages. I pray for um, training and teaching to be happening all around the world. I pray that you'd use the internet, use YouTube and all these things. Use them mightily to train people around the world to, to stand. And having done all to stand, stand therefore and until you come back. And Lord, we pray that you'd come back and get us. And we pray that uh, that, Lord, in, in the meantime, that we would be faithful and help us by your grace to be faithful. Help us to be zealous for good works. And uh, help us to be busy trying to do something. And, uh, and God, during our time, during our day that we live in, help us to bring somebody else to heaven with us. In Jesus' name, amen.